Well, a, a couple days ago on Friday, uh, my wife and I celebrated uh, our wedding anniversary, so 16 years together. Um, yeah, you can clap, you can clap, I'll accept that. And uh, I, it always brings me back to when we first got married. So uh, we got married in Oregon, and uh, immediately afterwards jumped in the Mitsubishi Lancer and drove across the country to uh, Connecticut to go to seminary. And I was so excited for this move. I, I grew up in, on, the, on the West Coast where, frankly, there's not a lot of history. You know, everything's pretty new, pretty modern on the, on the West Coast. And so I was so excited to go and see uh, the history, the architecture, you know, of the original colonies. I was a, a history major in, in college, so I just really wanted to see the cobblestone sidewalks and, you know, the Gothic architecture of Yale University, which was in New Haven. And uh, so I was really looking forward to that uh, all the way on the drive out to New Haven. And uh, we, we drove and drove and drove. And when we finally arrived, it was midnight. And so we got to New Haven in the dark. Here's the thing about being in the dark is you can't see much. And so we drove around the city, didn't see anything at all. And so I had to go to our dingy apartment, uh, but woke up the next morning in the, in the sunlight and walked around the city. And here's what I learned. Uh, you know, you, you can't explore and you can't enjoy. You can't really see a city unless it's light, right? In order to enjoy and see and explore New Haven, I had to do it in the light, in the light of day. And what John is going to say this morning is that in order to really know and see God, in order to explore God and really enjoy who God is, you need to do it in the light. At this point today. Now remember, uh, the book of 1 John, we started this series last week. Uh, the book of 1 John is all about knowing God. And John, at the very beginning of his book, he kind of lays out his thesis. He says, I've experienced God. I know God in Jesus Christ, and you can experience him too. I want you to know him, and I want you to know that you know him. I want you to experience his love, and I want you to know his joy. And so 1 John is almost an instruction manual. It's almost a, a how-to booklet on, on knowing God, a great little book. And so John begins this little booklet on knowing God with verse five, he says, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. John begins his book about knowing God in the right place. He begins with God and God's character. And he says, if you're ever gonna know God, if you're ever gonna experience him, if you're ever gonna walk with him and know his joy, you need to know something about who he is. What is his character? Who is this God that I want to know and experience? And so John begins the book first and foremost with God's character and God's essence. Who is the God that we want to know? And notice what he says here. He says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And so who is this God? What is his character like? John says, God is light. Now, what does that mean, that God is light? Well, you know, it means more than just physical brightness. You know, it is true that in the Bible, uh, as, you, as people meet God, one of the first things they see is a bright light. And so uh, Paul the Apostle, for example, was on the road to Damascus on his horse, and, and he encountered Jesus Christ, and he saw a great light, and he was knocked off his horse. 
And it's true that often in the Bible, God, when people encounter God, they experience physical light. But in this verse, John is using light as a metaphor. He's saying, when you meet God, this is what his character is like. God is like light. And specifically, what John is getting at here is that God is absolute holiness. God is absolute purity. When John uses the word light here, he's talking about God's moral and ethical purity. Commentators say this, so uh, this is F.F. Bruce. He says this about the verse here. He says, God is the source and essence of holiness and righteousness, goodness and truth. In him there is nothing that is unholy or unrighteous, evil or false. So here he says, uh, by God is light, John is saying that, that God is holy, that he is pure all the way down, all the way to the bottom. There is nothing in God, evil or false. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it th- this way, God is utter, absolute holiness, without blemish, without spot, without any admixture of that which is evil or sinful. So again, Lloyd-Jones says that w- when, when John says that God is light, he's saying that God is purity, purity. God is holiness. God is absolutely morally perfect. There's nothing in God that is false. Now, When we think of the word holiness, I think that often we think of somebody who's sort of a prude, right? You think of the Puritans, you know, in their dark robes, and they're never smiling, and they're always worried that somebody somewhere is having a good time, right? We think about holiness as, you know, somebody who might be really morally upright, you know, and they're very ethical, but they're kind of mean, right? But when John uses the word light here, when he's talking about God's holiness, don't think about, you know, prudishness. Or, be, or someone who's uptight, think instead about moral beauty or moral excellency. John is saying that to say that God is light is to talk about God's moral perfection, his moral beauty. Now, we all know about physical beauty. You know, you see a sculpture or a piece of art that is beautiful. What do you, what do you notice about it? Well, everything is in the right place. It's a per- perfect mix of color and the perfect balance of, sh- of sizes. Uh, you know, it's, everything is in the right place. When you think about a person who is physically beautiful, right? Even fe- features maybe, you know, everything is in the right place in terms of the balance of everything. Um, you might think of a statue that way. And what John is saying is that God is morally beautiful. All of his virtues are in the right place. Right, God is the perfect mixture of courage and compassion. You know, some people are very courageous, but they're kind of mean. But God is the perfect mix of courage and compassion. You know, God is the perfect mix of integrity and forgiveness. Right, all of God's virtues are in the right place. He's made up of moral excellency. God is light. This is God's character. And John says, this is where you need to begin. Now, he says, if you're going to know such a God, if you're going to have fellowship with a God who is light, he says, here's what you need to do. You need to learn how to walk in the light. The person who knows God learns how to be in the light just as God is in the light. Now, what does John mean by that? What is involved in walking in the light? Well, it means three things. Surprise, surprise. When John says that in order to know God, we need to be in the light, he's basically talking about three things. He says, uh, being in the light involves confronting our darkness. Second of all, it involves exposing darkness. And then finally, it involves 
cleansing darkness. To know this God who is light, we need to be in the light. What does it mean to be in the light? It means confronting darkness, exposing darkness, and cleansing of darkness. We're going to see all of that in verses 5 through 10. And you'll notice here, if you're into, you know, kind of the specifics of the, of the text, John says the phrase, if we say, three times. And every time he says, if we say, he's bringing up another one of these points. And so if you want, you could underline that in your Bible, the, the phrase, if, if we say. If you don't underline things in your Bible, just grab the Bible of the person next to you and underline it in their Bible. Because each phrase represents the point that John is getting at here about walking in the light. So first, walking in the light involves confronting darkness. Verse five, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say, there's the phrase, that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. So John here in these first couple verses is talking about how fellowship with God confronts our our darkness. And just as light always confronts darkness, you know, uh, light and darkness are incompatible. Light and darkness are opposites. Whenever you turn on the light, uh, the the light dispels the darkness in a room. When you turn on the light, there's not a a, a light-dark room, right? Light always dispels the darkness. They are mutually exclusive. And what John is saying here is that because God is light, he is the opposite of darkness, And the person who's going to be connected to God and have fellowship with God must leave their darkness and enter into his life. He says it is impossible to both walk in darkness and also to have fellowship with God in his light. Right? To know God, the God who is light, because he is light, always leads to a decision about your darkness. It always leads to a new attitude about your darkness. Right, to encounter the true and living God who is holy always simultaneously leads to a change of life. John, in his book, uh, in his gospel, he talks about Jesus, and he says this in chapter one. And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. He says when when people encountered Jesus Christ, the God who is light, they either loved him or they were repelled by him. Right? He had this effect on people because encountering him always led to a decision, a confrontation about their darkness. As you go throughout the Gospels, you see in almost every story where Jesus meets somebody, he always confronts their darkness. And so, for example, there's one story where uh, a young professional, you know, he's got everything, he's rich, and he's been very successful, and he comes to Jesus, and he says, I want to have fellowship with you. I want to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus uh, looks back at him, and he says, sell all you have and give it to the the poor, Now, what was Jesus doing there? He was confronting this man's darkness. His particular darkness was greed. And he says, if you want to be in a relationship with me, you've got to break up with greed. You can't have both me and greed at the same time. Or there's another story of the woman caught in adultery. 
And uh, you remember she, Jesus was so merciful to her. He said, I don't condemn you. Where are your, confu- your, uh, your uh, accusers? Uh, I don't condemn, condemn you. And then he says, go and sin no more. He's saying, he's confronting, he's loving her, but he's confronting her darkness. And he says, knowing me and being a follower of me always means a decision about your darkness. Her particular one was, you know, sexual sin. So the question is, is God confronting your darkness? You know, to encounter God, the true and living God, always leads to a a new attitude and a new way of understanding your own sin and evil and darkness. And the person who meets Jesus Christ always walks away from that in order to walk in the light as he is in the light. Now, I think this is really important for our day because as John, you need to know this, as John is writing this, there were some people in the church that were, um, they, they wanted to have a spiritual experience with Jesus, but they didn't want to change their lifestyle. They were called the Gnostics. They loved having the, you know, the esoteric experience, but they didn't want any, you know, they, they didn't want that, that, that experience with God to barge into their life at all. They were spiritual, but not religious. They said, give me Jesus, but hold the Ten Commandments, please. What John is saying is that you just can't do that. To encounter Jesus means to encounter the God of light. To love Jesus is to love the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments are a reflection of God's very character. God says, do not lie because God doesn't lie. God says, do not steal because God is a God of integrity. He says, do not hate because God is a God of love. And if you, love, if you encounter this God who is light, you will love his commandments as well. You cannot be spiritual without also embracing this new way of life. Now somebody says, well, wait a minute here. I, I've encountered God, but I still have a lot of sin in my life, right? If, if I have some darkness in my life, does that mean I, I don't know God at all? Is that what John is saying here? Well, notice the phrase here, uh, if we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, the word walk there is really important because it's a metaphor of a pattern of life. The Greek word is the Greek word peripateo, and I know that some of you Greek scholars say peripatao, but I say peripateo. Some people say patao, and some people say pateo. I know, that was bad, wasn't it? <laughs> He's talking here about a pattern of life. Imagine fellowship with God as a journey. You're you're journeying with God down the road. And he says, if you're going to walk with me, you've got to be walking in the same direction. You've got to be going in the, you've got to know who I am and where I'm going. And if you're going in that way, you cannot say that you're having fellowship with a person who's going this way. John says that an encounter with Jesus Christ will always confront your darkness. It will always lead to a change in attitude about sin. In order to have fellowship with God, you have to agree with God about his values. Second of all, John says that walking in the light means exposure of darkness, not just confrontation of darkness, but also exposure of darkness. So notice what John says here in verse 8. Here's the word again. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So notice what John says here. He goes on and he almost says the, the, the almost opposite thing that he said in the first point. You know, he says you got to be truthful. you got to walk in the light if you're going to have fellowship with God. You need to agree with him about sin. 
But second of all, he says, if you really know God, also you're not going to be a person who says, I don't have any sin. He says, the person who truly knows God is deeply aware of their own darkness. And to truly encounter the God who is light always simultaneously leads to exposure about that which is dark, dark, darkness in you. It's the same way with light. You know, whenever you encounter a physical light, it always exposes, doesn't it? Uh, when I was younger, I used to um, have pretty bad acne, and I wouldn't look in the mirror in, uh, in certain types of light, you know, especially fluorescent light, because you look in the mirror and it just exposes all the blemishes and all the, you know, the, the, the things that are wrong with you. And so in department stores, I just wouldn't look in the mirror because light exposes darkness, doesn't it? And have you ever noticed whenever you're in the presence of someone who's, a, who's, who's holy, for lack of a better word, or who's morally beautiful, or who's very innocent, that person almost exposes your darkness. Their goodness almost reveals what is not good about you. When I was younger, I, I remember uh, there, uh, I, the Princess Bride, I remember watching the Princess Bride with both my, my grandmother and my, my children. And uh, I loved the movie growing up, and it's, uh, I always thought of it as like this really wholesome, you know, it's PG in the 80s, which is like super clean. And, uh, and yet, when I watched it with my kids and with my grandmother, I had a really weird experience. I noticed everything that was dirty about the movie. And there are some little dirty things about the movie. So, like, there's the kissing scenes, you know, as you wish, you know. And, and there's the kissing scene, and I just felt so weird watching that with my kids, and there's actually a point in the movie where one of them uh, says a bad word. Did you know that? One of my kids actually used the bad word. And uh, I said, where in the world did you, you learn that word? You didn't learn it from dad or mom. Where did you learn it? And they said, we learned it from the princess bride. There's some violence in the movie. And you know, watching the movie with somebody pure and upright and innocent revealed that to me. I became so self-conscious about the darkness there. And encountering the God who is light always exposes your darkness. Nobody who encounters the true and living God walks away and says, I don't have any sin. His holiness has a way of revealing your evil and your brokenness. As you look throughout the Bible, this always happens when people encounter God. And so one famous example is Isaiah. Do you remember Isaiah? He's in the temple, and he has this grand vision of God who is high and lifted up, and he's holy, and he's pure, and he's spotless. And it says that Isaiah saw God high and lifted up in the temple. And the first thing that he says is, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. You see, this encounter with God revealed to Isaiah his darkness. Peter in the New Testament with Jesus. He's out there in the boat and he was doing something stupid like Peter always did. And Jesus looks at him and, and Peter just can't handle being in the presence of Jesus and he says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Because being in the presence of the holy always exposes your darkness. And nobody stands in the presence of the true and living God who is light and says, I have no sin. You know, one aspect of being in the darkness is not just, you know, being in the darkness is not just doing bad things, but it's hiding the bad things that you do. Being in a state of darkness means that you're in a state of hiding. 
And we see this with Adam and Eve. Do you remember they sinned against God? And the first thing they did is they hid their sin. God is looking for them and they're hide, they're, they've covered their tracks. And they're hiding from, from God because, because that is our natural inclination. And we not only sin, but we want to hide the sin that we do. We cover our tracks. You know, many of us, we grew up in families where there are skeletons in the closet. And things went on in the family that only happened behind closed doors. And you hoped to God that nobody would find out what went on in there. Because there's something about evil and there's something about brokenness that we want to hide. We don't want that exposed. Sometimes we try to hide our, our sin by self-deception and justification. You know, you don't, yeah, I did that, but you know, it's not really that big of a deal. And, and, and you know, it's, I, I, was, I wasn't really doing the wrong thing. And so we justify and we can, we can deceive ourselves about our own darkness. You know, God looks at you and says, hey, you're a drunk. And you say, no, 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 I'm just being sociable. God says, that's greed. No, 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 I'm just thrifty. Just being real safe here. God says, you're angry. And you say, no, I'm not angry. I'm just cynical. That's, that's my personality. You see, we can spin and we can deceive ourselves, but being in the presence of the God who is light always exposes, it's always an experience where the truth is known about us. Cornelius Plantinga says this about our tendency for self-deception. He says, self-deception about our sin is a narcotic, a tranquilizing and disorienting suppression of our spiritual central nervous system. Right, and so many of us, we can suppress the guilt of our sin, and we can pretend it's not there. It's like taking ibuprofen. The pain, you know, the sore is still there. The problem is still there, but you're suppressing your nervous system so you don't feel it. And you can be that way as you're, as you're walking through life, and you can be deceiving yourself about your sin, but you cannot be in the presence of God and be self-deceived anymore. Oh, you could be in church and live a hypocritical life. You can be, you know, you could encounter religion that way, but you cannot encounter the God, the true and living God, who is light without being exposed, without the truth being known. Nobody who meets God can be, in, be completely in the dark or in denial. As my friend once said, denial ain't just a river in Egypt. Denial is something that many of us live in. And those people who meet Jesus Christ, the true God who is light, always experiences this exposure. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. When a man is getting better, he understands more and more clearly the evil that is still left in him. When a man is getting worse, he understands his own badness less and less. A moderately bad man knows he is not not a very good person. A thoroughly bad man thinks he's all right. And the more you get to know God, the more you draw closer to him and know him more and more, you begin to to have an awareness about your own brokenness and your own sin. Now, God exposes us in his presence, but he doesn't do it because he's mean. He does it because this is who he is, and he always exposes us in order to heal us. You know, you go to the doctor, and the doctor shines a light on the area where the doctor's gonna operate, and they shine the light there because that's where they're gonna 
help you. And that's where they're gonna cut in and do, do surgery and, and do some healing. And God always exposes us in order to heal us. Which leads us to the final point. The person who is walking in the light has fellowship with God. And finally, that means that we, are, we experience a cleansing of our darkness. Verse nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. John finally says that, you know, if you uh, truly know God, if you're, if you're coming into his presence, and you're having fellowship with him, and you're experiencing him, the final thing that's going to happen is you're going to experience a cleansing of your darkness. You won't just be confronted and exposed, you will move towards cleansing. God always wants to cleanse you. He wants to heal you. He wants his light to rub off on you. In fact, in John chapter 3, it says that when we see him, we are purified even as he is pure. Being in the presence of the God who is light always leads to his light rubbing off on, on us. It always leads to us getting better. It always leads to our cleansing. But notice what John says here. In order for us to be cleansed, we need to do something. We need to respond the right way to this light. Because when we are exposed, uh, you know, when God does reveal himself to us and we see all of our darkness, we have a decision, don't we? We could, like the rich young ruler, walk away. You know, you could experience the conviction and, and you could be exposed and say, I don't like this. I don't like this exposure. I don't need this. No, thank you. I would rather be comfortable. Yes, thank you very much. I'd rather be comfortable in my darkness. And you could turn around and you could walk away unchanged just like the rich young ruler was. Or you could be confronted with your darkness and say, you know, uh, uh, yes, I, I, I do have these things in my life, but I'm going to get better. I'm going to work real hard and I'm going to be holy just like God is holy. Well, just try that. And try as much as you like. It is so very difficult in your own power to be holy just as God is holy. What does John tell us to do? He says, once you're exposed, he says, this is what I want you to do. Confess your sins, and he will be faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He says, when we are exposed, we will not be healed or cleansed unless we confess our sins to God. Confessing our sins to God means that we are open and honest about who we are in God's presence. It means that there's no more spin in our lives. It means that we are, we're, we are committed to not deceiving ourselves anymore. It means that when God reveals our darkness, we confess it before him. We are honest with God. We agree with God about the sin in our lives. And this takes a lot of courage. And notice John says, if you confess your sins, that's a very big if. Because becoming honest with yourself and with God about what you've done takes incredible vulnerability, it takes honesty, and confession takes a lot of courage. Because confession involves trusting in God's character. Notice John connects confession with trusting God's character. He says, 
If you confess your sins, he is faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we're going to be open and honest about who we are, we need to trust who God is. Confessing your sins is like jumping off a ledge. I remember teaching one of my boys how to swim. And I remember he was on the edge of the pool and I was in the water with my arms out. And I said, jump, Judy, jump. I'm going to catch you. It's going to be okay. And little Jude looked back at me and went, I said, it's okay, you can trust daddy. Daddy's arms are strong. I'm, daddy's good, you can trust me. Come on, Judy, just jump off, you can do it. You see, in order to jump off the ledge, he had to have a certain trust in my character. Confessing your, and maybe, you know, he shouldn't have that trust, I don't know. I've never dropped him before. But God will not drop you Remember, God is light. This is God's character. He is the perfect balance of all virtues. He is infinite holiness, but he is also infinite possibility of forgiveness. He is just and he is righteous, but he is also faithful. And you can trust this God that when you become clean and when you make yourself vulnerable and when you are honest with what you've done and who you are in his presence, He will forgive you. He is faithful and just to forgive you. This God is trustworthy. How do we know that we can trust that he is faithful and just? Well, notice he brings up the blood of Jesus Christ. The character of God is revealed in the cross. His infinite holiness and his infinite forgiveness are revealed in the fact that he sent his son to bleed and die for you. God was so holy that Jesus had to die. And yet he is so loving that Jesus was willing to die. So you know that when you are honest and you come clean in his presence, he will forgive. He is faithful. And his forgiveness is strong. And so it is safe to be in his presence. I love what Tim Keller says. He says that to be loved and not known is superficial. And to be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be known and loved is a lot like having fellowship with God. The God who is light, who exposes in order to heal the God who is holy and confronts your sin but is also safe, a safe person to expose yourself to. He is the perfect mixture of grace and truth. In your bulletin, there's a little quote by Bernard of Clairvaux, early church uh, father, and it's gonna come up on the screen. Notice the first line of this. I love the first line. He says, I need both grace and truth. I need forgiveness and light to be in God's presence. I need both grace and truth. Truth so that I cannot hide from him and grace so that I do not wish to hide. And John says, you want to know God, this is where it begins. God is light. He is absolute holiness. You cannot hide in his presence. But let me tell you, you don't want to hide and you don't need to hide. Because in his light, in his character, he has made a way for all of us to be forgiven. 
You want to know God, it involves walking in the light, and this involves confronting sin, exposing sin, and experiencing cleansing from sin. So let me ask a question just as we close here today. I'm almost done. Are you allowing God to deal with your darkness? You cannot get closer to him without dealing with that. And darkness isn't some general broad thing. It's always something specific. And this morning, God is inviting you to encounter him. He's inviting you to fellowship. But this is always a difficult and challenging invitation, isn't it? It's an invitation to honesty. It's an invitation to confrontation. But it's also an invitation for you to be cleansed, for his light to rub off on you. So this morning, let's close our eyes and let's just have a moment of confession. Let's just do what the passage tells us to do, to come into God's presence. And he says, confess your sins before God. It begins with confession, naming the sin, being honest with yourself, having a moment of clarity and truth. It also involves this wonderful assurance that as we name our sins before God, he is faithful and just to forgive us because the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. Receive that forgiveness. Receive that cleansing. Lord, we thank you so much that you are the God who is light. God, we thank you so much that we cannot hide in your presence. We thank you that you expose us in order to heal us. And God, this morning as your holy people, we want to deal with the darkness in our lives. We pray that you would help us, Lord, to be honest and confess. And Lord, this morning we pray for assurance, assurance of our pardon, assurance of our cleansing. God, that whatever we've done, God, as we confess those things to you, the essence of the gospel is is cleansing and forgiveness. Thank you so much, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.